Hey, and welcome back to Student Voices, where we discuss all things education with students at the centre. I'm your host today, Lexi Kelsall, and you are listening to Student Voices, putting students at the centre of the education conversation. Hi, I am Lexi, one of the Student Voice advocates here at Pivot, and I am excited to welcome you back to the Student Voices podcast. Today in our sixth episode, and my first as host, we are talking about convenient and inconvenient student voice, and what that can look like in an inclusive school environment. So I wanted to start by getting you to think about what it is that comes to your mind when you hear the term student voices. For me, it's speeches in assemblies, meetings between student leadership teams and school executives, and doing feedback surveys a couple of times a semester. These are all, of course, valid and very important forms of student voice. However, they are not the only methods. If we want to truly embrace this concept of student voice, it's important that we look past the traditional by-the-book methods of students conveying their thoughts and opinions and include the voices of those who share their ideas in perhaps a less conventional way. What is often referred to as inconvenient student voice. These concepts of convenient versus inconvenient student voice are really well summed up by youth social change and education expert Adam Fletcher, who states, convenient student voice happens whenever adults know who is going to speak what is going to be said, where it's going to be shared, when it's going to happen, and what the outcomes are going to be. Adults might not have written the script, but what's going to be said is no surprise to them. Inconvenient student voice happens when students express themselves in ways that aren't predictable. They share ideas, shout out thoughts, take actions, reflect harshly, or critique severely. They write, draw, graffiti, paint, play, sing, protest, and do things that adults don't know, understand, approve of, or otherwise predict. To dive further into this concept and unpack what is already being done in schools, I spoke with Sandy Cartwright, the principal, and Matt Lotherington, the senior teacher at Alloa Primary School in the Northern Territory, and also with Steve Lang, a science, maths, and student enterprise teacher, as well as the facilitator of their student council at Clarkson Community High School in Western Australia to find out how they manage and promote all student voices within their school community. To begin my interviews, I asked my guest to tell me about the types of voice that they see throughout their school communities and the impact those voices make. Here is what Sandy and Matt from Aloha had to say about that. It's been part of our strategic improvement journey over the last six, seven years to encourage voices right through the school, from those children right down in our preschool area, the four-year-olds, right through to our year sixes who are 12, out to our parent group and to our uh, stakeholders. We look for opportunities, I think, all the time to create engagement through sharing a voice, whether it's through surveys, whether it's through focus groups, whether it's through conversations. We're continually looking for what people think about things, what their views are, 
in our direction, what their views are about specific situations. And then by listening and showing that there's an impact of them having a say, it's then what does that translate into? What does it mean? Does something happen when they have a say? And the more traction that we've got has been, I think, because we've shown their voices make a difference and that we do listen. When we first started, kids would often say, what does it matter? We just tick a box. It's just a perception survey. Whereas by actually saying to the kids, this is what we do with the feedback you give, or this is what we do when you have an idea, I think they've felt more empowered through those different ways that we provide those opportunities. Yeah, look, I agree, Lexi. I think um, there's definitely a huge focus on... Um, student voice at this school, teacher voice and, um, you know, parent voice. So even those sort of incidental things outside of the pivot surveys and the, the learning commission that we do, I think that, that the, the kids at this school feel like they have an authentic voice. You know, the parents as well. Recently, we, in our perception survey with parents last year, there were two things that stood out. One was about kids being able to manage their emotions and one was about can they stay safe online. So we took those two that were the lowest feedback that we got. We then organised a cyber safety night and expo and we surveyed parents more deeply about, well, what is it you're concerned about? I guess that's what I'm saying, that if people see that you act on the voice and the feedback they give, they're more inclined to keep giving it. Looking at things from a different perspective, Steve from Clarkson gave his perspective on voice within a school that is at the start of their student voice journey, where the focus was really on engagement and guiding students on how to communicate their opinions in the first place. It's a really interesting question at a school like ours. We're in a low SES area, um, and that has a fairly significant impact on the way that the school community operate in total. We have an awful lot of, I would say, parents, families who probably had a fairly poor experience at school themselves. And then that kind of just filters through to, you know, what takes place in the, you know, on a day-to-day basis at the school in the sense that uh, we don't have, we, we have two types. We have some parents who are very involved, but we have some parents who are just not involved at all. So that has a, a significant impact in terms of things like, you know, how you escalate behaviour issues, um, whether you get the support from them, whether you can encourage students to work at home, do homework or not. So yeah, it, it can be quite challenging to think about. You're limited in some respects in what you can and cannot do and how you involve the community. But it's a really important aspect that you have to take into account when you are trying things out, wanting to try and change. We do have some students who are very concerned about um, certain aspects and other students who just kind of come here and do their stuff and are quite happy to do it. In terms of voice, I think students struggle with voice because they don't really know what it is that they're expected to do or not expected to do. So a lot of, um, as you, you kind of describe it, it's like, what are their actions and what are their actions in, in regard to following the suggested school culture and doing something different? So that involves things like, you know, turning up to classes on time or, you know, staying in class. Um, we do have a number of students who will regularly, you know, halfway through a class, you know, want to go to the toilet, but then off they go and never return. That's a very clear indication of a rejection of the norms that we are putting in place as we expect a school to exist. Um, and that kind of voice, we're not very good at actually 
capturing what it is that we should be trying to do there. The, the messages are there. You know, we can see that there are things, you know, there are people, there are students who are, you know, not fully engaged in the process, not fully engaged in the system. Um, but we're not necessarily very good at thinking outside the box, although there is an attempt to try to do it. I think we, are, we, we want to do it. We want to try and do something about it. Um, but I think often the difficulty is um, <clears throat> the students recognise it doesn't work for them, but they can't articulate how they would like to change things. You know, they, they know they don't like it, but they couldn't tell us what they'd rather have instead, which then makes it really challenging for us to kind of, you know, work together to come up with solutions that work for everybody. As Alawa is a primary school, I was next really interested to hear from Sandy and Matt the way they go about listening to the ideas and concerns of their younger students who might not yet have their heads quite as wrapped around the idea of student voice as their older peers. I guess it's the same principle, we just go about it differently. For example, one of the little six-year-olds wrote me a letter saying she's upset about the rubbish. So then she gets to read her letter out to the whole school. We have muster twice a day where all the kids get together for that five or ten minutes after their break. By her having the power to tell the whole school what her concerns are, other kids now have taken up, they're going around picking up rubbish every day. Now kids are saying we should have a nude food policy, etc. Also last week, one of the kids got hurt in the playground, a broken collarbone, a little tiny one of our little toddlers. So I met with all of the five, six and seven-year-old kids on Friday and said, our playground might not be as safe as we want it to be. How do we make it safer? So all of a sudden we've got the early playground rules and agreements, how we need to behave down there. So we did that as a group negotiated uh, agreement on Friday. I've emailed it out to all the teachers. One of the older kids typed it up. We've now got A3 posters in every class window. So to me, it's responding, but in a really timely manner that if there's something comes up, they have to feel there's an immediate impact from it that's got traction to have that say. I think too, Lexi, it's easy to assume that the younger people wouldn't know what to say or wouldn't have something to say, but it's actually quite amazing when you do ask them and they do see it having an impact around the school, how much they, they then do tell you and of course they see the older children modeling it because the older children come up come up with initiatives the learning commission come up with with lots of initiatives around the school so i think that it's just a matter of, of actually seeking that feedback from those younger kids sort of helping shape the conversation but really take on board what you're hearing from them i was next curious to understand how both schools made sure that student voice at their schools was inclusive I asked how they went about putting together their student leadership teams to ensure diversity. And then beyond that, how to keep the ideas of students not as heavily involved in the student council still at the centre of discussions. To be inclusive, you've got to go outside the traditional boxes. So through the actual leadership model, there's a huge opportunity there. And that gives lots of forums. But I don't believe at Alloa the kids who aren't in those roles don't feel they have a voice either. So, for example, any kid that plays on the Oval, they meet with me at the start of every term to say, what sports do we want to play this term? Every class gives their teacher feedback twice a year. That's not to do with being in the leadership role. That's you giving your teacher feedback. I believe just about any child in this school feels they can come and tell me something or ask for something if they want that to happen. The other thing that comes to my mind too is that student voice is not always vocalised. Yes. 
sometimes you have to be watching out for it. You have to acknowledge it. Like there are buddy benches at this school because there's concern of seeing kids not having anyone to play with. And so then you follow up and going, hey, is this a thing that's happening at our school? And then so you introduce a program like Buddy Bench, but then it's critical to say to the kids, hey, listen, we brought this in because we noticed this happening at the school. So I don't think student voice is always people standing up and speaking. Yeah. I think you need to be really responsive and always sort of looking out for it as well. What do the kids want? That's actually telling us something that we need to provide something for those kids. We've actually changed it quite a bit. I've been, um, you know, uh, with the student council as a facilitator for a couple of years. It used to be very much that, you know, the, the student council was was full of the, the, the most academic students and, you know, the ones that were the best and the most keen and they weren't really representative of the student body at all. And to me, that would just seem really kind of antithetical to the whole point. Well, what's the point of having a, a representative council if they don't represent? So we started and I tried to encourage uh, students who I thought did have a voice, who wanted to say stuff, or saw the value in, in being in the student council to, to develop themselves as much as to develop the school, whether it was to develop their confidence, you know, to be able to get up on stage and do whatever it was. And so it was more a case of we encouraged people to apply. Some students just want to apply anyway, but we tried to move away from it being about academics. Generally, we've had a situation, we don't have a huge number of students wanting to do it. So generally at the higher levels, um, most of the students that put their hands up, we will try and find them a place in the student council. I'd rather be inclusive. I'd rather have more people in the student council. We just find, we'll find roles, there's stuff for them. If they want to get involved and do stuff, I'm, I'm really keen to have them involved. We've tried a few things. I mean, we do have surveys and, and this year particularly, you know, we, um, we've, we've introduced Pivot um, as a means of getting student perception. And that's been uh, really useful. If nothing else, it opens up the dialogue. Students can actually see that they're being asked for their opinions, um, which perhaps some of them they're not used to. The, the information we've gathered from that already has been really interesting. And I think all the teachers have found it quite useful to get that understanding and perception of what students feel. Steve then went on and gave me a really fantastic example of how some of his students were able to use initiative and work together to make what felt like a long overdue change in their school. I mean, a very good example we had, um, and it's been an ongoing one about, you know, uniforms. So uniforms are always one of these ones. And particularly here, we've had an issue because in winter, what our students do, they'll, they'll turn up to school and they've got their hoodies on and they're not school uniform and everybody gets crossed. So there's been a big push to have a hoodie included in the uniform and that's been around for you know, two or three years you know admin was like yeah yeah we wanted you know but you always got the feeling that there wasn't that real drive to make things change we did have you know interesting situations where one of our students actually just made his own hoodie <laughs> he took the logo off something else and stitched on a normal and then turned up and it's like well it's got a logo on it it's the right color so how is this not the right one? But anyway, so that kind of, you know, his own pressure, but also within the student council, we've kind of been pushing for it, the student councils have. And, you know, finally, that's culminated in this year, we've, we've got an approval from the school council that we will have school hoodie will be on next year's uniform list. Because that's the kind of thing that lets the students know that their voice is important and we are listening. I finished my interview by having both schools give me an example of when they have been faced with an inconvenient form of student voice and have then had to work with those involved to understand the motivations behind these choices being made and figure out how to transform something initially disruptive into some positive change. And here is what they had to say. 
I think it's about seeing it around. So, for example, the chill-out room last year I'm going to talk about because it was definitely a response to some really negative behaviours from some Year 6 students. And so we just ended up going to this group of kids and saying, look, what is it? What can we do that's actually, like, what are you asking for? Because none of them are bad kids. They're all good kids. They're just doing silly things at, at, at lunch times. So we approached them. Turns out they feel like they don't have anything to do that's their own. They feel like if they go and play sport, they're with the little kids. Some of them don't want to play sport. At the end of the day, it turns out they just wanted their own space without the little kids around to just chill out and do some iPads, do some computer stuff. And so we just developed this uh, year six chill out room just to give them that space to go and do that and we actually found that we had some success with that it actually gave them what they wanted to do they didn't come to us with that that came about with some real negative behaviors and we had to go and ask them and then that's what they wanted well the one that i'm i think we're, we're kind of tackling just now is the one that we sort of talked about where it's you know students being out of class uh, congregating and you know and I, I'm glad to see that that's being recognised. It's not just people misbehaving. There's actually something that we need to address there. Our current acting principal has kind of said, you know, what do we need to do? Let's take any ideas. Let's run, you know, think about what it can be. Let's think outside the box. And I think that kind of challenge is what's required. There's something that's going on. We've not addressed it up to now. We just kind of think that, you know, let's just get them back in the classroom and the problem is going to be, and it's not. We're just... We're not actually addressing the problem. We're just trying to keep the problem from impacting the rest of us. But let's think about what it is. What, what is the voice? What is taking place? And how can we properly address it? And I think that recognition that there is more to this than just people misbehaving is, I think, a very positive one. Uh, how do we actually try and get that voice to be articulated? Any problem solving requires people to understand what the problem actually is. It really excites me and gives me so much hope for the future, knowing that students of all ages in schools are being taught that what they have to say is incredibly important and are seeing real changes being made that stem from their ideas and concerns. If I have learned anything from talking to Sandy, Matt and Steve, it's that we can't afford to underestimate what students have to say. The way they communicate might not always be positive, However, by having open minds and taking time to listen and observe, exciting change can be made. The way they communicate their feelings on issues might not always be positive. However, by having open minds and taking time to listen and observe, exciting change can be made and positive, inclusive school environments can be formed that are representative of everyone in the school. So finally, I would like to say a massive thank you to my guests for giving me such great insights into the ways that they create inclusive student voices in their schools. And that is a wrap. So thank you so much for listening to episode six of the Student Voices podcast. And please make sure you stay tuned for the episodes to come because we have some really exciting conversations coming your way. You can also share your questions, comments, and feedback on our website, pivotpl.com forward slash student voices podcast. See you next time.